Hi, welcome to the Mainstream Mass Podcast. This is your host, Will. I'm joined here by my co-host, Jaren. What is up, guys? Today, we are going to be getting into who is the second and third best player on this Mavericks team. This is a question that has been proposed by lots of MFFLs on Twitter, but it definitely has sparked debate amongst a lot of uh, Mass fans, and it's definitely intriguing to get into. We'll be getting into that today. Um I think the consensus would probably be that it's either Spencer Dinwiddie or Christian Wood, but we're going to hammer out our opinions on that and um, see if we come to an agreement or disagreement on that. And then we're going to be getting on into if Tim Hardaway Jr. can rekindle um, his play from the 2020-2021 season where he averaged 17 games. um, I mean, (laughs) he averaged 17 points a game in the playoffs versus the Clippers and shot 40% from three in that series. And Tim legitimately, you know, he earned that four-year $74 million, contra- uh, $74 million contract or whatever it was, and, like, legitimately looked like he was, like, you know, he was in the leadership council at the beginning of the season. That was a whole big deal. Legitimately looked like he was, like, one of the top three players in the Mavericks uh, go- heading into the season before Jalen Brunson took a step and Chris Asperzingis got traded and all that stuff. So, you know, him taking a step would be huge for the Mavericks, especially if they don't include him in a trade here in the – um coming months uh coming months or two before training camp so yeah we'll be getting into that today but before we do that we have a brief message from our sponsor anchor all right so getting into it jaron um in your opinion i'm just gonna let you go right um here right off the bat who do you think the mavericks second best player is right next to luka Doncic at this very moment at this very moment i i strongly feel it is spencer dinwiddie you know i i, I know that we talked about Spencer Dinwiddie previously, I want to say it was a few weeks ago, how he's basically the floor of the Mavericks uh, mm-hmm. this season. Um, you know, I just think Spencer Dinwiddie, what he brings to the table, like we need a second ball handler. He is that second ball handler. There, he's just so important to this Mavs roster team that he cannot be the third. He just has to be that second best player on the team. Yeah. You know, there's there's arguments that can be made. Uh, Christian Wood. Tim Hardaway Jr. if he's fully healthy and fully back. But I, I just think the importance level of Spencer Dinwiddie is just too great for him not to be that second best guy on the floor. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, like I, I think it's a bottom line. <clears throat> I don't really think as of right now there's much of an argument to be made that it isn't Spencer Dinwiddie. I think I think you can kind of make an argument for Christian Wood but uh, we don't know what he's going to do on this Mavericks roster. We know it's Spencer doing what he does. And given that he has a full off season now in Dallas, uh, fully healthy, like there, there might be some great things that we see out of him this season. I definitely agree with that. Um, the only thing I think that would, I would push back at the sort of counter argument to Dinwiddie being the second best player, you know, he did average 20.6 points a game in Brooklyn, the 2019, 20 season. So the only really counter argument to him being the second best player in the Mavericks is his three point shot regressing and his 23 games with the Mavericks last year, he shot 40% from three and in his career, he's never shot above 34%. Um, okay. yeah. And that would, and he only did that over the whole season um, with the Mavericks and wizards this year. Um, well, he, actually he did shoot 37.6% from three. 
um, as I'm looking at it here in 2016-17 um, with the Nets, but he obviously wasn't in near of a more established role and only played 59 games this that season and was more of a bench player. So <clears throat> given Spencer has a full offseason and, you know, guys that typically have an ACL injury have always said that, you know, they need, you know, there's that nine-month recovery period, and then there's basically a whole year to where you actually get back to where you were before the injury. Exactly. So I think his driving and explosiveness um, definitely could be more um, – it could reciprocate more of some of his time in Brooklyn when he was really explosive getting into the rim and was a much better distributor. I mean, he averaged almost seven assists that year in the um, 2019-20 season where he averaged 20.6 points a game. I just think that, you know, his three-point shot might not necessarily be there because of the fact that, you know, he's never been able to shoot that clip consistently for his whole career and has always kind of struggled as a shooter. And lot, lots of his three-point attempts aren't really catch-and-shoot attempts. They're usually contested, like pull-ups and stuff like that. So if he can rekindle some of his explosiveness, because um, at times, especially in the playoffs last year and even times in the uh, late regular season, we saw him be hesitant when he had open driving lanes um, to where like there were times before where we didn't really see that, you know, in his previous stops when he, even like with the, you know, uh, with the nets and even sometimes in Washington. So I just wonder if that was more so conducive to the ACL injury or if that was just a sort of change in play, you know, he's going to be 29 going into this um, season. So, you know, he's right in his prime. Yeah, so, I mean, I, I would definitely agree that, you know, Dinwiddie is definitely the floor of this Mavericks team from the standpoint of his play is going to be um, conducive to the Mavericks having a certain level that they're going to reach to win games because the Mavericks don't have another ball handler that's going to exactly. be able to ease any of the um, load off Luka, especially if Luka goes down for – any sort of number of games, which we've seen in seasons past is almost a certainty at some points that he'll, you know, have a little ankle injury here and there just with the amount of workload he's doing, especially with, you know, Brunson not being back. So I definitely agree that Dinwiddie is the floor of this Mavericks team and he has to have a certain, um, he has to have a certain level of production uh, just for this Mavericks team to, fare well enough to, to uh, you know, get where this roster can potentially get. Um, I think that this roster could really excel in the regular season, even as it's currently constructed. I just have questions come playoff time, given the lack of another ball handler and potentially a lack of another wing. But I would definitely agree with that. Um, no, yeah, definitely. Okay, the one thing I disagree with uh, in what you said is, you know, his 34% from three isn't the most eye-popping stat, but I think that's a number that is going – I think it's a number that's going to be on the rise, especially this season. Mm-hmm. I think his decision-making – because we saw it in times in the playoffs, of course, where, like you said, he just didn't drive. He would take a stupid pull-up three and hope, like, hope it went in, and then sometimes it would, sometimes it wouldn't. Most times it wouldn't. Um but I think I think we're going to see more of a decisive role for him. I don't think we saw really the most in-depth decisive role for Spencer Dinwiddie really all last season because he was kind of a guy that we got middle of the year, a little before playoffs. 
So we didn't have much time to look at it and see, you know, what he gave. And like, we know, we know what he gave, uh, but now like he has a hundred percent definite role and that's that secondary playmaker. But the one thing that we can, like, you can't deny this is the guy is clutch. He made some really good shots and most of them were three-pointers late in games, whether it was in the playoffs or in the regular season. And one shot that does come to mind is that, one versus the Brooklyn Nets, that buzzer beater. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, I think this is the first guy that we can act we can say if the ball is not in Luca's hands, those finals, those final three seconds, and they're in Dinwiddie's hands, I'm, you know, not as comfortable, but I'm okay with it. No, I, I get that. But like, I would just ask you, like, what exactly gives you confidence that his three point shot? is going to develop in any manner when, you know, history just tells us that, you know, besides this positive regression that he had at the uh, tail end of last season when he came to the Mavericks and the playoffs um, at some points, like what gives you so much confidence that his three-point percentage is um, going to take another step and he can be a guy that shoots like 36, 37% from three, for instance. No, yeah. Like bottom line, I think, I, I think in the grand scheme of things for his tenure in Dallas, I think that this 21, no, I guess the 2022 playoffs, I think is going to be kind of a fluke. I hope they're a fluke at least. Uh, But like, you know, like you said a minute ago, like it's really a full year and even a half, almost two years of, uh, I guess, really just coming back from an ACL injury until you're fully healthy, fully there. It takes around after that nine month period probably about a year so it's really a two-year process uh you know we're coming up I think on year two maybe a little past year two uh and a full off season I just think we're gonna see hopefully uh career numbers out of him he's in his prime still he's 29 uh but yeah I just have hopes in just the standard of just the the coaching stuff because I think that plays a big role uh, Dallas yeah. has historically had a pretty good shooting progression in terms of players. You look at Dorian Finney-Smith, Maxi Kluba. Uh, I think that this will be one. I think this will be another one. Even if he just improves to 36%, that would be tremendous. No, I definitely agree that, you know, him just improving marginally upon his three-point shot would be a huge win for the Mavericks, especially um, with the workload that he's going to have to carry this season. You know, I'm just – I am really iffy on my confidence in terms of if he's going to be able to do that or not, just given his history. And, you know, you know, typically at his age, players really don't develop on their shot too much as much anymore. I guess, you know, from your perspective, I could see maybe, you know, the tie in with the whole like, OK, he was coming off with the ACL injury. So for the first however many many months of his rehab, probably all he could do is really just shoot. So maybe that's um, part of your reasoning and what have you. But um I definitely am not like through the roof in terms of my confidence that his three point percentage is going to be where it was last year, but I guess we'll just have to see. He did. He is a guy that projects confidence um, when the game's on the line though. And we've seen that uh, countless times, whether it be in the playoffs or your season. And I think that those sort of guys are invaluable. And I think that's going to bode well for him come um, this season with the Mavericks. Um, No. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I thought his, like I said, like you said, actually, his decision-making at times was lackluster just in terms of, you know, he'd get into the lane a lot of times, and he actually did make some really good passes, especially when he was driving. 
But a lot of the times, you know, I felt like he passed up, you know, open uh, driving opportunities, even open shots at times. And I just think that, you know, if he can thrive more as a pick and roll ball handler, like he was uh, during his tenure in Brooklyn, if he can get just a little better at that, because, you know, I feel like he sometimes even hunted his own shot and would take this, um, especially like a lot of times last year, he dribbled the shot, uh, shot clock, like late into the possession. Yeah. That was a problem. Um, and he kind of milk it. So if he can be a little more fast getting into offense, you know, I think a lot of that could be like conditioning, you know, coming off the ACL. I fully understand that. If he can get into things, um, if he can get into actions faster and be a little more assertive and uh, find a way to be more reciprocal of his um, passing in Brooklyn that year where he averaged 6.8 assists, I definitely wouldn't put it past him that he could potentially um, be that like secondary ball handler and distributor that the, that the Mavericks need, you know? Yeah. And um, also, um, do you think if the Mavericks get a third ball handler, do you think that they can get a guy better than Spencer Dinwiddie that could potentially um, take this second best player role? Or do you think anybody that they'd get on the trade market um, before the season starts, there's you know, Dinwiddie still going to be the, you know, clearing away second best ball handler and distributor on this team? And that there's nobody that can replace his production, or do you think there's a guy out there that the Mavericks could get that could replace that? So okay, let me preface this. There's definitely guys that they can get that would be better. I think for how far along we are into this off season, and what I guess what kind of rumors have come out, I don't think if we're making a trade, if you're talking about this off season or before this season starts, I don't think that there is a guy mm-hmm. uh, that can fill in that second best role. Well, yeah, actually. Yeah. We made free agent signing Tim Hardaway Jr. And if he pops oh. off, <laughs> but uh, like real talk, I, I don't think that there is a guy uh, right now. Now let's let's talk about you know maybe mid season. Maybe we make a a trade. Uh, maybe even next offseason we we'll make a trade. Uh, I wouldn't put it past that we could get possibly a second best actual star on this team. Um, but yeah, I think as of right now. Uh, if we're talking before the season starts, I don't think we can. I understand that. So you're saying, like, for instance, like, Mavs make a trade for Kobe White. You're still taking Dinwiddie. Clearly oh, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, even if they okay, just okay. like Colin Sexton, for instance, even though that is like, um, it's very far fetched, but yeah. I, he might he might actually make a run for the money. Yeah. No, I I agree with that, but I. I like realistically, I don't see them getting um, a secondary ball handler slash creator slash distributor that's going to be better than Dinwiddie is right now. So I yeah. would agree with that. Now, um, go ahead. Oh, uh, I guess I thought you were about to change topics. I was like, before we change topics, do do you think Tim Hardaway Jr. if he rekindled some of his really just twenty one twenty two season, it, like and especially that playoff performance, do you think if he rekindled twenty 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 one season, right? Yeah, 2020-2021, sorry. Um, if he rekindled some of that, do you think that he could make an argument for second? I, I think he could definitely make an argument for third, but do you think he can make an argument for second best player? No, just from the standpoint that he's not going to be doing, like he already lacks, him and D- Dinwiddie are both, you know, I'd say less than, slightly less than average defenders. I mean, you know, yeah. Dinwiddie could say he's an average defender just from the standpoint that he's able to play passing lanes a little better and has a little bit more length and quickness. 
But, you know, Tim's definitely a minus defender. Um, like, it seems lost out there sometimes. And I think just how, like, you know, while what Tim does, especially when he's honed in, locked in, he's really good at, I just don't think there's enough array in terms of things he can do with his skill set to, like, warrant him being the in the discussion for second best uh, or even third best player for that matter. Because, like, I even, like, a guy like Dorian Finney-Smith, for instance, I think just does so much more than Tim would do for this Mavericks team. And while no, I do yeah. think Tim's scoring, um, you know, and his ability to get to the rim at times and his, um, you know, sort of tertiary shot-creating shot creating ability would help this Mavericks team and will help this Mavericks team if he stays at times, especially if he's able to get back to his level of production where he was – um, shooting a better percentage here, I have it pulled up. Um, in that 20, 2021 season, Tim was shooting about 45% from the field and almost four, and 39% from three, which, you know, if he's back at that sort of marker uh, percentage-wise and um, having better decision-making, that was a big leap at the time I remember us talking about was Tim was just making better decisions and he wasn't taking as bad of shots. I think if he's able to do that, you know, maybe he could possibly get into that discussion for the third best player on this team, but I just don't think he really does enough outside of what he's really good at to warrant him being in that discussion. He's just not multifaceted enough for me to be like, okay, Tim is the definitive third best player on that team. And, you know, I think that Mavericks team a couple of years ago was just a lot more limited yeah, yeah, their roster than they are now, and especially with how bad Kristaps was playing at certain points in his injuries, and Brunson hadn't really took a step yet. You know, I feel like even if Tim was as good as he was in the 2020-21 season as he was this year and, like, never got hurt last year, I still don't think I'd have gave him the second-best player title over Brunson by any means, and even my third-best player title with the way Dorian Finney-Smith played last year. Okay, that's respectful, yeah. I, I didn't think about it in the standards of how, I guess, handicapped that uh that team was. Right. Because, uh, yeah, I mean, really, Jalen Brunson was barely playing playoff minutes. He was getting played out, really. Mm-hmm. Um, so, no, yeah, I understand it from that perspective. I just think – I think what Tim does, his just level – now, he's a spotty shooter where – or, I guess, streaky – where, you know, we've, we've seen it night in, night out, where he sometimes shoot makes or sometimes has six points a game off of 25% shooting, and the next he has 32 off of 51% shooting. Like, it, it, you just – it's kind of a toss-up. I think if he could hone in on consistency, even yeah. just 40% from the field. Not, not 40% from the field. Like 45% uh, from the field, like he's – done like twice in his career that would be huge because no yeah exactly just his decision making because I think those two seasons under Rick Carlisle I felt like there was a pressure from Rick Carlisle I mean I can't prove this whatsoever but I feel like there was like a pressure from Rick Carlisle to like okay don't be dumb or you're going to get played out of the rotation Um, versus with like Jason Kidd who's obviously you know promoted being more laxed and you know at the start of the season promoted the players to do more even if they weren't necessarily capable of it to develop more like he you know talked about Dorian being able to drive more. And I mean, that Dorian was able to do that a little bit this year. So that's no, exactly. good from Jason Kidd's perspective to an extent. 
but it also is, you know, maybe guys like Tim Hardaway Jr. aren't necessarily the guys you want to really say that to because that might promote a, promote a guy like him to make some uh, lackluster decisions. Well, but, I mean, like, uh, I mean, dude, Josh Green got minutes, so I don't think you should be worried, so. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> that was a joke, but. Yeah, no, I, I get that. Like, no, I mean, like, I, I definitely do like – Jason Kidd's willingness to let players try things and yeah, no, um, you know, develop and you know, even guys that are a little bit older that may not necessarily have that ability. I just think that that ha- you have to find the sort of equilibrium between that and letting guys do too much to where it's hurting your team. And you know, I think they struggled with that sometimes last season, but towards the end of the season, I think Jason Kidd definitely you know honed in on a way smaller rotation and figured that out a lot more but at the start of the season i mean i remember like there was one game um like i think the third game of the season or something like that where the mavericks were playing against the rockets and jason kids like everybody's gonna play in this game like like okay like what if the game's like close in the fourth quarter like i feel like just like weird antics and tactics like that are a little bit unnecessary but i do like promote you know i do like to see him promoting young players playing and players doing and, you know, having guys do a little more outside of what they think they might be capable of, just not taking that to an extreme. I think finding the equilibrium there is, like, really important, and I hope he's able to do that this year. Exactly. I, I agree with you. Yeah. So, anyways, next we'll get into if Christian Wood can be the second-best player in this Mavericks team. These, the only other guy, in my opinion, that has potential to be the second-best player in this Mavericks team. Are you in agreement with that? I, I, I agree with that, yeah. Yeah. So, like we said – um a few weeks ago spencer dinwiddie is the floor of this mavericks team but christian what is the ceiling how he plays in my opinion is just completely an added bonus to what you're adding to this mavericks team because he doesn't really like he's like we said he's kind of a dwight powell on steroids that has an ability to score and create offense for himself in some aspects but at the same time you know, he's not an insanely good defender. And while he has shown potential guarding wings and guards, it'll be interesting to see if that can actually come into an effect um, with elevated um, minutes at the four, you know, not having to play the five all the time with the Maverick center rotation that they have this year. So, you know, Christian Woods obviously had some concerns in terms of, you know, locker room in Houston, but I, I kind of boil that down to more to like, anybody playing on that Rockets team would be frustrated. So why do you think Mavs fans had a, a sort of hesitancy when talking about Christian Wood um, in terms of if he's going to thrive within this offense or not? And do you think that he can, like, actually develop into the definitive second-best player on this team? So, I, like, I think the one argument that people can make about Christian Wood – and is he going to be enough for the, or like, is he going to be, I guess, too selfish or is he going to fit is uh, really like he, he's never played with a star player. He played, I think eight games. It was with James Harden. I think it was like three actually. Was it three? Okay. Yeah. I, knew it was, I knew it was somewhere around there. Yeah. Um, he and played. He's never been on a good team whatsoever. Like that's the argument they can make for his career is he's done well on really crappy teams and has never had that star player to like and I mean, facilitate he's never had a, 
pick and roll ball handler like Luca, and I would probably even argue he's never had a pick and roll ball handler like Dinwiddie when Dinwiddie is like fully healthy and into it, you know? No, exactly. Like I think Dinwiddie, it, like take away Luca, Dinwiddie might be the best player that he's played with. Like, and that that says a lot. Uh, yeah, <laughs> but I don't think looking back at those Pistons teams. Um, to like say that definitively, there might have been a guy or two in there. Well, I mean, I think Blake Griffin was on that those Pistons teams. Well, like in point guard standing. Yeah, like that. No, yeah, I agree. But he's just not had a number one guy that can facilitate the ball to him. He hasn't had shooters that you know, if there is a kickout available, he can confidently kick the ball out and make a shot. Or not, not him, but he can confidently uh, kick the ball out and someone make a shot. Like, I just think that there's multiple aspects of this guy's game that we're going to see really progress this year, light passing. Mm-hmm. Um, but not just that. Like, I, I think we're going to see consistency. Uh, and, you know, he's consistent throughout his career, of course. Like, once he gets minutes, he's consistent. Uh, but it's there's a, there's a point to where you're playing on a crappy team and you just get shots up to get shots up. Yeah, because you're the best player on that team. But I just think that we're going to see much smoother shots, much smoother possessions. Uh, you know, we might not see the big highlight reel that we see from him every year, but I think I think he's going to find a new role. I think he's going to find a new, I guess, part of his game um, under Luka Doncic, or at least I hope Luka Doncic. Uh, like, I, I really like him. Uh, but yeah, like the one argument that the math team, or I guess math fans make, another argument actually is, he's he's always on the move, because what he's six teams in six years or something. But yeah, you have to, the guy hasn't had a career anywhere. He's been he uh, was he undrafted? I think he was undrafted. Yeah, yeah, he was undrafted. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like he he's he's never given the opportunity, and I think it was 2018 19 was his first year with Detroit. Um, yeah. But yeah, this is his first winning team. This will by far be his first team over 500, I think. Now, yeah, he's always been thrust into position where, you know, he's had to do a lot more. And I think that definitely like helped his development more, definitely. I would say. But, you know, this is his first real opportunity playing within a system where he is, you know, deferring to other guys, you know, especially after the last couple of years on this Rockets team. He's been the primary um like best player on those teams and, you know, playing with two pick and roll distributors that are going to be able to get him the ball in spots where he can thrive, especially um, with the lob game and things of that nature. And, you know, I think when he tries to create his own offense, you know, he does, he is a very versatile big man. He's quick footed. You know, I'm not saying he's like Kevin Durant in terms of his, you know, being like a point forward or anything. But he's a guy who can get his own shots at sometimes, you know. He's not a guy you want, you know, taking a dribble pull up at the end of the shot clock, but he has some interesting ways to get to the rims in terms of, you know, his spin moves and um, just being being able to work, you know, quicker off a lot of bigs that he gets uh, played onto. And I think the spacing that Luca and Dinwiddie could provide for him, you know, especially if he, um, you know, is playing a lot of minutes with those guys, you know, he obviously may not start, but if he's – really able to thrust himself into the position to where, you know, he very well could um, take himself if he's able to thrive within the Maverick system. 
he he will start at some point in the season if he's able to do that. And he will be a guy that um, really benefits from playing with this roster and could be a guy that gets 20 and 10 a night, just knowing, you know, the advantages he's going to be able to take with Luka Doncic. I mean, this is a guy that has had to do really everything for himself his whole career. So seeing how, you know, to, you know, if he is either going to, in my opinion, go extremely well or go really negatively, maybe not like characteristically, I'm not saying he's going to be a bad locker room guy or anything like that, but you know, if, he tries to do too much and feels as if, you know, it's still like he was back in Houston or Detroit where he's the lead guy and, you know, he doesn't defer to Luca whatsoever. I think that's where you could run into problems, but if he accepts and buys into his role, I mean, this is a guy that, you know, dare I say has like borderline all-star potential at some point in his tenure with the Mavericks, if he continues to stay, because, just in terms of the uh, potential and skill set he has. I know he's, you know, like 26, 27, but, I mean, this is a guy who's shown flashes of some really special things, you know, with the basketball in his hands at times. And if he can take a step defensively and at least be um, competent against, like, threes, fours, and twos when he's having to go out in the wing and, you know, at least be, like, a solid help side defender against some NBA centers – I mean, this is a guy that can really thrive and, you know, even like really take a step over Dinwiddie because, you know, if he's able to use his creation ability because of the spacing that Mavericks um, other ball handlers will provide, especially if the Mavericks get another ball handler, you know, he's going to be the most open lanes in terms of not all the defensive focus being on him that he's ever had in his career. And that could really open some stuff up for him. Yeah. I think there would definitely be a learning curve because we've mentioned it 30 times this podcast already, how he's never played with a number one guy or even a number two guy. Like he's never really played with that kind of guy. Um, So I think there will be a learning curve and just kind of giving up the ball, realizing like it's not, it's not you that the offense, it's not even that the offense flows through him. It's just, you're not the best guy on this team now. Like there's going to be a learning curve in that sense. Um. But I think, you know, him talking about Luca, him talking about the situation he has in Dallas, like he gets giddy, he smiles. We saw in that one interview in the summer league, uh, like he, he's genuinely excited. He gets giddy, but he doesn't get Josh giddy. <laughs> uh, that was bad. I don't even know why I said that. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, that was my it's first okay. I, I heard that. <laughs> it's okay. I made a bad joke earlier. I, I had to say that it was a joke. So Yeah, I know. <laughs> we, we, we're messing up on that, the joke. That was now we're even. Yeah. <laughs> But, no, yeah, like, it, there's going to be a learning curve in that sense. There's even going to be a learning curve in the um, in the locker room. Just in, you know, you're not the leader. Okay, I wouldn't say leader, but you're not the number one guy. There's not there's not every expectation on you. Like you're, Right. And just, like, the sort of level of excellence and winning that's expected. You know, I'm not saying the Mavericks are expected to win a championship or anything, but there's a certain, like, pedestal that you're going to have to live up to. Um you know, given that there's more of a spotlight on you now, even if you're not, it sounds kind of crazy to stay, but, you know, I feel like the situation where he has in Dallas, you know, being on a winning team and what have you with, you know, especially as invested as Mavs fans are, I feel like there's more of a spotlight on him, even if he was the best player on some um, at times in Detroit or in Houston to perform well and up to standard. So I think that's also a contributing factor as to why, you know, he's going to have to 
if he has any sort of self-entitlement in terms of him wanting to be the primary guy, he's going to have to throw that away because there's a sort of accountability, I think, that this Mavericks team, you know, especially with their how good their chemistry is that they showed. Uh, you know, that's part of the reason they got to the Western Conference Finals. No, like – going to have to fit in and gel with this group. Exactly. He's going to have to come to the locker room and prove that he is one of the guys. That That's a big part because he's always been the guy, I feel like. No, yeah, definitely. He has been – you know, and that's not to discount Jalen Green at all. I think Jalen Green could be really good, but especially Jalen Green in year one with like he's, he's, a still fi- he's still finding a way to take that next step as a ball handler and as a um, distributor. You know, he's sort, you know, he's a really good scorer, but those are just some of the areas that he needs to improve upon. And I just don't even think he's like even on like Dinwiddie's level in that aspect. And you know, he wasn't really. He's not like a. He's a young guy who, you know, may have shown flashes of that stuff at times that looked really good because he has that potential. But he's not a guy that was getting Christian with the ball in the spots he needed to. You know, he's more more so focused on, you know, how can I develop in, you know, exactly. my game. And I can see how, you know, him and, like, Kevin Porter Jr., you know, everybody on that team want to get their own shots, including Christian Wood. And I can see how that leads to, like, frustration that in um, terms of that with everybody on that Rockets team last year. And for the last two years, for that matter, you know, looking out for themselves, like how can I stick in the NBA? And you, you can't blame them, but that's kind of the situation they were in. No, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So next up, we will be getting into Tim Hardaway's. Um, if he can take, I guess, that re-leap to get back to where he was at in the 2020-2021 season. Um, but before we do that, do you have any, like, closing thoughts on you know the second third best player on the Mavericks who you would say it like definitively is do you think Dorian Finney-Smith can enter that conversation whatsoever so I especially with how we've seen Dodo's career progress I think I think we can definitely make an argument that he might he could be pushing for that third best I don't think we're going to be in talks of second best by any means uh but I think he's already made a push for third best like it really depends on how Christian Wood is because I, like we don't even know how Christian Wood's going to be on this team. So realistically, like I, I could, you could make an argument for Dorian Finnis-Smith right now being the third best guy. Because again, like I said, we don't know how Christian was going to be, but with that being said, like if we want to look back on this topic eight months from now, like in the middle of the season after all-star break kind of area, like you, these topics could, or I guess these names could really change. This could be, you know, maybe Christian Wood and Spencer Dinwiddie replace, like they just replace numbers or places or whatever, whatever you call it. Uh, but who knows? Maybe we could see a different guy step up in there. I don't think we'll see anybody make a leap as much as Jalen Brunson did. But I definitely think that we could see a number of guys make a push for that third best player on this team. No, I completely agree. And I think it really kind of just depends on how Christian Wood does. I think if Christian Wood elevates himself to that second best player, then I think the Dinwiddie will likely like definitively be the third best player, even if he does Agreed, have, like, yeah. a somewhat bad season, just from the level of how much he's going to have to play given the current construct of the ball handler situation. Like I think he'll have to be the third best player at that point, but I think there is a scenario in which Christian Wood really flops and he doesn't, live up to what we think he could potentially be just because of 
him not accepting his role and what have you, that I think that the consistency of Dorian Finney-Smith and the defense and three-point shooting he provides will override, you know, Christian Wood's struggles, and he'll be like the definitive third-best player. So I think the conversation really just does depend on Christian Wood. But if I had to bank on anything, I'm going to take the more positive side in terms of the Christian Wood um, hype train because at the end of the day, he, you know, it is just interviews, but like you said, he does seem like he's really like excited to come into his role with Dallas and how Luca can help him. Like he literally talked about that in his summer league interview. So I don't think he has a sort of mentality that some mass fans think he might where, you know, he's just selfish, bad for locker room guy that he was in Houston. I don't necessarily uh, tend to agree with that. No. Yeah. But anyways, um, and you feel like there's no sort of way that Tim Hardaway, like, and like I said, that's basically the topic we're getting into next is like, could Tim Hardaway ascend to where he was in that 2020-21 season where, let me pull it up, in that season, Tim Hardaway um, averaged 15.8 points per game that season. I remember, you know, he was in six-man of the year contention at some points. Um, or the, the, I was like in the 2019-20 season. Um, he had Both these years were good, actually. In the 2019-20 season, he averaged 15.8 points per game on 39.8% from three. This past year, or the year before last, he averaged 16.6 points per game on 39.1% from three and 44.7% from the field, um, which was the second highest marker of his career. Um, only time he was ever higher was when he was coming off the bench in Atlanta, where he had he shot 45.5% from the field. And field goal percentage for me is really indicative um, in terms of Tim Mardaway Jr.'s production because that we've seen him struggle with decision-making in the past. And I feel like that's just a true marker of the shots he's taking and him not playing too much outside of what he's asked to do in the offense. No. Yeah, exactly. I think, I think I I really hope this isn't something that we have to talk about in six months or however long is Christian would a flop or not, but I think let's say Christian Wood is a flop. I think he definitely makes a run for that third best guy with Dorian Finney-Smith and maybe yeah, somebody else. Yeah, if he can ascend back to if where he's he, at. Yeah, where he's averaging that's assuming, 17 yeah. a game on 40% three, because we did see Tim take a big dip last year before his injury. He, you know, he was shooting under 40% from the field um, in his 42 games last year, um, under 34% from three. And, you know, it, at times it just seemed – like the Tim Hardaway Jr. of old, um, it's like almost like, oh, I got my money. You know, now it really doesn't matter as much. I'm just going to jack up shots again. Um, do you think that that was more of just a one-year slump and he could have created, uh, corrected that as the season went on? Or do you think that was just kind of fitting within Jason Kidd's system where that those problems arose? Like, what do you think um, sort of instigated that slump and do you think he can get out of that? So, like, there's a number of reasons. I, I even think, you know, we, we've we talked about it, how there's that, like, 20-game period, and especially, I think, in Jason Kidd's system, there's this 20-game period where that there's the first 20 games of the season is kind of like a big test. You can you can try different things. You can uh, – it's figuring out what works. And I think every NBA team, NBA team does this, but I think it's it, – you see it mostly with the Mavs, at least last season um it was just a big growing step this is uh I guess the first time with a different system uh that the Mavericks have had but I, like I think it was just kind of that uh 
of why, you know, we didn't see Tim Hardaway Jr. be Tim Hardaway Jr. Because I, I really think that he's a great – he's a great shooter. He's a great player. Uh, he was just really last year at times just a little lackluster in the sense that he was shooting really bad. And also, we didn't see those 30-point-per-game performances at all uh, in comparison to where we would see it every few games uh, previous seasons. Yeah, it seems but, almost like Tim was more consistent last year, but he was more consistent in terms of, you know, not playing good. He, he had still a couple of his, you know, games where, you know, he shot terribly and only scored like seven points, but he didn't really have any of those outbursts that we saw. Um, in previous in the previous two seasons where exactly. he would just go for like 35 and just be shooting the lights out. So that'll be really interesting to go uh, to see going forward. Um, I want to bring this stat up. Tim Hardaway Jr. in the playoff series against the Clippers in the 2020-2021 season, averaged 17 points a game, um, 3.3 rebounds. He shot both um, – he shot 41.6% from the field, which, you know, it's just seven games. So I don't want to judge him off from that. But he shot 40% from three um, from three that year. And, I mean, he was a key reason as to why the Mavericks won game two that year. He, um, just his offense he was able to provi- um, provide at times. And he was had a lot higher of a minute dosage in that series. You know, obviously it was the playoffs. But, you know, being in this lesser role, do you think Tim Hardaway not starting – is a limiting factor for his game. Do you think he needs that sort of – do you think he needs to start to sort of feel out his rhythm and be be able to get into his offense? Because that's always been a big, you know, topic of discussion around him and his tenure with the Mavs is when Tim's not starting or if he's starting, like what what do you think is going to be better for him for this upcoming season? Like, I, I think with any player, you know, being, being a starter mentally has huge effects on your game. And, and you know, you go from starter to bench all of a sudden – just because of an offseason, after you had, you know, one of the best stretches in your career uh, from that point. And, I mean, you know, coming off this huge four-year, $74 million deal as well. Yeah, exactly. And then, you know, all of a sudden getting pushed to the bench. Uh, With Jalen Brunson's ascension. Mm-hmm. Exactly, yeah. Like, it has mental effects on you. So, I think I think we're going to see a more level-headed uh, Tim Hardaway. I, I just think there was – multiple scenarios multiple times last year where he just kind of fizzled out and you know it probably was a huge mental thing uh like he's never really he's always been a career starter I feel like um you know all of a sudden especially like we just said after your arguably best career stretch and then signing a huge contract and like that was the biggest that he had signed to the point uh, it, it has mental effects and I think I think from this year on, we're going to see he's going to have a defined role. Like, he knows what he's doing. He's coming yeah. off the bench, and it's his time to to try and make a role for – or I guess to try and make a run for the starting spot. I don't know if he'll do that or not. Um, yeah. No, I mean, I think that it's definitely, like, in the fine lines. Like, regardless if you – if there's an argument that Christian Wood may start at some point over Dinwiddie, you know, it seems like this Mavericks – um team is at least very dead set on keeping Luca um JaVale even if he's just a spot starter and the two wings and Dorian Finney-Smith and Reggie Bullock as the starters so seeing you know how Tim treats that given that I think that there's you know while there was some iffy factors if he would 
start at some points last season. You know, I think knowing that he's going to come off the bench could be a big factor. He, he seems like a professional and, you know, having got his contract now, um, I think just knowing his role, he doesn't seem like the type of guy that, you know, would overexert himself and make a big deal out of not starting and what have you, especially, you know, after coming out of his contract year. I think that that is going to be important for um, his confidence. I think last year when that was more of a question, um, that may have hurt him at times. But, I mean, that's just us theorizing. We don't know for sure, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, like, I, I think – I just think for him now, you know, now he knows where he's at. Um, it, like, and the thing is, like, he's going to be I, – like, I actually – I think that once once the starting lineups all finalized and everything, you know, I think Christian Wood – is going to start at some point this season. So once that happens, I think he's going to be the number one guy off the bench. And I think that's going to be good for him. But what if Dinwiddie's coming off the bench? It's crazy. Well, okay. Like, uh, I, like, I don't know. There's, there's different configurations you can make. I, I personally think Dinwiddie would stay if Wood does, but maybe they replace each other. Um, yeah. I mean, that my only argument is I think the Mavericks are really adamant as Tim Cato kind of said. Um, and, you know, some of his recent stories on podcasts, the Mavericks are really adamant about keeping Dorian Finney-Smith and Reggie Bullock in those no, I, okay. defensive purposes. So I just feel like if Tim, you know, like I, I, I just don't know, unless Christian Wood really proves that his niche is guarding threes and fours and he's like an actual like really good defender on that end to where the Mavericks are like, okay, we'll size up a little bit and we'll replace him for – Dorian or Reggie or whoever. Um, if unless Christian Wood's able to prove that, I just don't see um just in terms of the regular season, I just don't see a world where the Mavericks are going to be starting or not going to be starting those two wings at that point. So at that point, you're like, okay, either Christian Wood or didn't when he comes off the bench, you know? No, I could see that. But when does when does Javel come and talks? Like, do you think Javel's a, a lock? I like I don't know we're not. This isn't a topic that we're discussed. Um, but you think Javel's a lock at that point? That's interesting. Um, I could see times where Javel doesn't necessarily like in certain matchups he may not start, but you know, given their promise to him, I just think that would be a really like backhanded move to be like, okay, you know, like you're not starting now, especially with the contract that he ended up settling for. I know like some people will complain about his contract, but it really wasn't that egregious at the end of the day. It was a pretty fair number for a guy that's producing at the level he is at his age. Um, you know, I think even if JaVale's not going to, you know, see the minute total that Maxi or Christian Wood is, I think him spot starting is still going to be a consistency barring, you know, the Mavericks figure out some lineup that is just really able to, you know, override the date and be like, okay, like there's no point in spot starting to build at this point. But I just feel like the, the fact that they told him, um, I don't know, you know, I just feel like JaVale is a pretty like steady bet in terms of what he's going to give you. And, you know, he's going to give you solid interior D, um, not maybe not elite rim protection, but he's going to give you solid rim protection. He's proved that throughout his career. He's been on championship teams and he's going to give you a good, you know, even at his age, athletic roller to the basket. And I think the Mavericks really like the idea of spot starting him in the same sense that they did with Dwight Powell, 
except for the fact that JaVale is obviously going to provide way better defense. And I think with them having already promised that, I just don't really see them going back on that unless some lineup really overrides that. That's just my opinion. Uh, like, yeah, I can see that. I, like, I'm not saying it's impossible. Like, I think, you know, if some lineup, you know, the Mavericks just pull out a death, a death lineup that, you know, with like Luca, Dinwiddie, Bullock, and Dorian and Christian Wood, and it's just too good to refuse that, you know, they'll just – they'll just not – they'll only play that at certain points during the game and keep JaVale as a spot starter. I'm not saying that commitment is – like a hundred percent guaranteed, but I just don't see them unless something like really blows it out the water that they would, you know, go back on that commitment to JaVale and be like, okay, like you're not starting now. Like things can obviously change and, you know, this could definitely come back to eat me um, here in a few months. But, you know, I feel like at least through like the first half of the season, the Mavericks would be really reluctant to, take JaVale out of the starting lineup until he has, like, a clearly defined – until he's able to – I mean, he will have a clearly defined role in this team, but until he's able to visualize that, and it may not be as big of a blow to him when you deliver the news. Okay, like, we want to do this and start this person because this is playing better, but you're still going to be important off the bench, you know? Like, yeah, no, I 100% get that. Like, my argument to that is I think start or bench JaVale, I think he's going to give you 15 minutes or whatever minutes – he's going to give you, I think 15 minutes is the probably Mark. I, I think he's going to give you 15 minutes either way. If he does start or he comes off the bench, I, I think now I think lineups will change. Like, I don't think we're going to see the same starting lineup, especially in the beginning of the season. Yeah. Uh, but, but like, I, I just think if you're going to switch out one guy, and th- this kind of goes up into that lineup discussion. If you're going to switch out one guy for Christian Wood, like I just think it's Javel personally, but I can understand it being Spencer Dinwiddie. Yeah. No, if Christian Wood can really develop as yeah, and that's if he develops, yeah. Well, not even develop, but like just, uh, just his ability to yeah get to the rim, you know. And he's not he's not going to be the distributor of ball. I know where that Dinwiddie is, but you know, just be consistent with the ball in his hands and be able to create offense for himself. I think that's maybe the time that the Mavericks can be like, okay, like we can sub him out for Dinwiddie. Uh, you know, he's effective enough offensively. But, you know, that still provides questions come playoff time. Like, can the Mavericks function without um, Dinwiddie in that starting lineup, just given the lack of ball handling, especially in the playoffs? You know, defenders are going to be a lot more honed in. You're against better teams. Guys are going to be playing heavier minutes, which could definitely limit Christian Wood. I think that's really interesting. So, you know – the starting lineup situation is going to be interesting while I could see it being the Mavericks seem to be like dead set on this lineup of Luca Dinwiddie, the two wings and JaVale at the start of the season. I do agree with you from the standpoint that there will be fluidity to some extent in that starting lineup. I mean, especially if the Mavericks make a trade at some point. Uh, which I hope they do. Yeah. And um, I, I really do think the Mavericks will, or I really hope the Mavericks will, make a trade before the season starts. I, I don't think they – I mean, who knows what they'll actually do, you know. I think um, – I will say it. that this front office has not – they have not been reluctant in trying to make moves versus the Donnie Nelson regime. So, that's um, been very encouraging. You know, I actually heard this on Locked on Mass today. 
Um, shout out to them. Um, our sort of uh, like 1,000 times improved version of us. But um, <laughs> they talked about how, or like Isaac specifically talked about how the Mavericks making a move before the season, like the reason he thinks it's going to happen is because he doesn't think, you know, with the sort of like questions that could come with like, you know, oh, you know, Dwight and Davis, you know, you're going to get moved. Like he just thinks it could, it could create a sort of weird locker room dynamic. Now, given those guys are like both like really good professionals and I really don't think they could like feed into anything too much. Like, but it just would be weird going into that season with the uncertainty that, you know, if the Mavericks don't move those guys now, it's almost certain that, you know, those guys will be gone at the trade deadline. Like, I think we could both say definitively that this Mavericks team will for sure not be the same by the trade deadline. Can we both say that? A hundred percent. Like, I think 110%. You can yeah, 110%. So, um, from that standpoint, and, this, you know, that could, you know, and just the assurance, he brought this up about Luca and Dinwiddie. Um, if just one of them gets hurt, the Mavericks are almost screwed in terms of who's going to be able to create offense for them. Um and just handle the ball and bring the ball up the court and distribute it to guys. It's just one of those guys gets hurt. You know, you can survive with both of them being healthy, especially during the regular season. But, you know, that's part of the reason I would tend to agree that the Mavericks are probably going to make a move before training camp starts. I agreed. I think like they're just, and I hate to use the word like have to, especially in basketball, but there just has to be a move, move made. Like this roster is not done. I, like, no matter what the coaching staff says, no matter what the media guys say, like, I, I just think, I guess not media, but Mark Cuban. Yeah. Like, I think, I think there has to be another move made for this team to be, I, I like, I, no doubt in my mind, I think this team is regular season equipped. But to be playoff equipped is a whole different thing. And this team is definitely not playoff equipped. Yeah. And it's just like, it's just the assurance factor for me. Like even in the regular season, like if Luca or Dinwiddie misses any sort of stretch of games, that's just a severe lack of ball handling that the Mavericks are going to be faced with. Um, that I like really don't even know how they're going to be able to counter with that. Like, oh, yeah. you, know, be t- you know, there'll be some teams they can get away with that, but a lot of teams you won't be able to get away with um, not having another dude that can create offense. They, you know, they have a game plan that can limit Luca for a stretch of games, just hone in on him. You know, you know, obviously you can't stop Luca, but you know, if a defense is fully like supercharged at Luca, we've seen at times where it can get to him just a little bit, especially, you know, during the dog days of the regular season, you're just going game to game to game. Um, we've seen teams like that, uh, especially when Luca was basically the only ball handler, you know, when Brunson was still developing and things of that nature, where you know, he just wouldn't have it every night because it's hard to you know, constantly face double and triple teams and, you know, just make the right pass every time, you know, split the double team when needed, you know, knowing when to pass before the double team gets there. Like, it's hard to do that every time, especially, you know, if you're carrying that much of a workload and you're getting tired. And, you know, Luca does seem like he's coming in better shape this year, but that's not to say that, you know, he's going to be able to just shoulder everything regardless of how good a shape he comes in. And, like, LeBron can come in the best shape of his life and, you know, he's still not going to be able to do everything. No, yeah, agreed. Like, that's a great point. 
Uh, I think another point, like we're we went over this in a few pods, but I, we're lucky if Luca misses ten games in a season. And yeah, yeah. let's say let's say he does miss ten games. We're lucky if we win two of those games. With how this roster is currently constructed, we're lucky. I feel like if we win, no, if we I go don't. two and eight. Yeah, depending on the teams we play, of course. But no, yeah, yes, yeah, I completely agree. Yeah, I mean, this Mavericks roster is just not constructed to win without Luca because, you know, you do have great complementary players next to Luca. I'm not refuting that. You know, these guys and Christian Wood, especially if he is able to play next to Luca the way we think he might be able to. Dorian Finney-Smith, Reggie Bullock, um, Maxi, JaVale. Like, these are all great complimentary players. But these are not guys you're asking to bring up the ball up the court and find other guys and, you know, create offense for themselves. And, you know, Christian Wood maybe create offense for himself a bit. But, you know, the really only other guy on this team that can do that is Spencer Dinwiddie. You know, even Tim Hardaway, you know, while he, you know, can sometimes, you know – have the occasional pull-up jumper. He's a guy who needs to be fed the ball in spots. And, I mean, we've seen him thrive best as a spot-up shooter. So, you know, that leads to, like, the next thing. Like, you know, Tim Hardaway Jr., contrary to, you know, how well he's played at times, is not a shot uh, – He's I wouldn't really call him a shot creator, definitely not a playmaker distributor. He can shot create at times. And he has some – you know, he can blow past guys occasionally and get to the rim. Um and, you know, come off a screen, hit the occasional pull-up jumper. But, you know, he's not a guy that can break somebody down and just get to the rim how he pleases or, you know, he's not a distributor at all. And I think that that's definitely, like, a limiting factor um, in terms of my confidence of, you know, the Mavericks really still lacking that third ball handle or distributor. Yeah, exactly. I agree. Yeah, and so, like, I mean, to answer the question, like, could Tim Hardaway Jr. take that step to get back to where he was at um, in an off-the-bench role and thrive in it? Like, I definitely think so. I think that that especially buys into that and, you know, is able to rekindle himself within this Jason Kidd system and, you know, be able to play off Luka and Dinwiddie and, you know, get back to a little bit better decision-making, you know, still having those occasional Tim, like, oh, 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 no, 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 yes shots, you know. But at the same time, like, still, you know, having the mental discipline to, you know, not just chuck up bad three-pointers at the end of the shot clock, things of that nature. Could he get back to that? Yes. But I don't think him doing that, you know, while that may raise the ceiling of the Mavericks, I just don't think Tim Hardaway Jr. playing like that is going to help like the floor of this Mavericks team whatsoever because I just don't think he's a guy that can create offense. And I don't think him doing that, you know, however many amount of games is really going to be too much of a difference in the Mavericks um, winning games. Maybe it could be in the regular season a little bit, but definitely not in the playoffs. No, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have any other closing thoughts on Tim Hardaway getting back to where he was at or the second or third best player on this team? Um, please, just please, no 32 points and then six points the next night, just please. So you just value consistency from consistency and not, not, not last year consistency. I just need decent consistency. Yes. No, <laughs> I, I think that would be big in terms of 
um, raising the ceiling for this Mavericks team if Sim could provide that. And, you know, we didn't really mention it much at all this pod, but Tim could be gone in two weeks. So there's also that too, but <laughs> we never you know. know. All, all signs are pointing out to him staying with the Mavericks. He was just hanging out with Jaden Hardy at a club and, you know, they're talking about him as this free agent addition. But if the right trade scenario came up and some of these fallout moves with Kevin Durant or Donovan Mitchell, it wouldn't put a pass. You know, our little pod the other day was about fake trades. I think Tim is definitely a movable asset. And I even saw somewhere on Twitter, I don't know the validity of this, but I guess Jake, Fisher in one of his like get calling rooms said the Mavericks were exploring shopping Tim at one point. So, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't put it past that he could be on the move at some point, but you know, as it currently stands, we're going to talk about it as if he's on the team next year, because we're this far enough into the off season. He's August 4th and he's not gone. Yeah, exactly. And the coaching staff has talked very highly, but yes, yeah. but you know, we've seen uh, situations of like that, of course, in the past, like I don't think anybody on this team is necessarily, like unmovable except for Luca, but and I wouldn't even say it's a safe bet that Tim Hardaway is going to be on the roster at the start of the season, as I probably wouldn't even say with um Frank, Josh Green, Dwight Powell, or Davis. Like there is all scenarios where I could see those guys being moved before the season. But you know, if I had to lean one way or the other, I'd probably say he's on the roster given the information we have up to this point. But yeah, if you don't have anything else, um that's gonna do it for today's pod. Um, we'll see you guys in the next one. We'll probably be back. You know, this will come out on Thursday, even though we're recording this wait, uh, late Wednesday night. So we'll be back on Saturday. You guys have a good one. Enjoy the start of your weekend. And make sure to subscribe to us on all platforms. Um, Apple Podcast, Podcast, Spotify, Amazon Music, Radio Public. I believe that's everything we're on right now. So we're on plenty of platforms. So you guys go listen to us. And obviously Anchor um that's what our sponsor is as well so enjoy uh, you know i hope you guys enjoyed if you made this far give us a five-star rating you know comment if you're if it's applicable to comment on whatever you're listening to um anything you like from the podcast get at us on twitter at mainstream underscore mass but um you know we're also working some other stuff and some in terms of some other other platforms we get on in the future so really excited for that um yes, with that but with that being said um mainstream mass signing out Peace.